Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. Lori's out for one more week, so it's just me again. And as I was sitting down to write this week's podcast with some thoughts on the future, I happened to read The Illusion of Knowledge by Howard Marks at Oak Tree Capital, which he wrote in early September. Like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, Howard has long expressed his disregard for people thinking they're capable of making forecasts. That is, of thinking they have a snowball's chance in hell, except out of pure dumb luck. Throughout his letter, Howard sprinkles quotes from people I've long admired myself, including from John Kenneth Galbraith, there are two kinds of forecasters, those who don't know and those who don't know they don't know. (laughs) From Peter Bernstein, forecasts create the mirage that the future is knowable. And of course, our old friend Mark Twain, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. In fact, at one point or another over the years, I've referenced these same quotes in one or more of my reports. And in some ways, they provided the inspiration for the Plutonomics podcast when in the introduction we say, knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand, the challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. One of Howard's main points is that forecasters have no choice but to base their judgments on models. And models, by definition, he says, consist of assumptions. To support this, he lists the words never, always, forever, can't, won't, will, and must, which, he says, investors should never (laughs) utter pointing out how, unlike physics, where electrons always do what they're supposed to, people have feelings. They get sick, go on strike, and in today's work-from-home environment, quiet quit. On the other hand, electrons don't innovate, create companies, and thereby thousands or even hundreds of thousands of jobs, or buck herd mentality. But because of this, because people's behavior can, for better or worse, be unpredictable, how can the workings of such a massively complex economy as ours be modeled? Is it possible, for example, for a model to anticipate a person's decision to pay a premium simply for the prestige of a thing, or for an entrepreneur's decision to lose money for a time by pricing something below cost to gain market share? or influenced by emotion, how one might behave 
one way one moment and different another based on whatever's going on in their life at the time. I wish I could say I was impervious to this one myself. But another thing I found interesting which falls under our notion of where you sit depends on where you stand is when he talks about something called cognitive dissonance. When people are confronted with new evidence, he says, that calls into question their pre-existing position, unconscious mechanisms enable them to justify and uphold those positions. The point when this happens is people must either admit they're wrong, which isn't easy, or reject the new evidence and do all they can to justify their position even more vehemently. Like in Shaggy's song, Say It Wasn't You. Unfortunately, more often than not, or than most people like to admit, people go with denial. Self-interest, whether it's for other people's good or not, simply causes them to act a certain way, and self-justification allows them to stick with her position in the face of even overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Whatever the reason, whether they realize it or not, their optimism or pessimism shapes their forecasts and behavior, and to be fair, economists aren't any better. In fact, Howard calls them portfolio managers who never mark to market. They make their forecasts, are either right or wrong, and either way, they go on to make new forecasts at another company, perhaps, or if they're in the media, another channel. And nobody seems to hold them accountable, as they do their money manager, who people fire if they're wrong too often. But that's the point. It's always someone else's future at stake if these talking heads are wrong. Someone else's money when it comes to raising taxes to pay for a program they want. Someone else's job when it comes to increased unemployment as a unfortunate consequence of the Fed raising rates, theoretically to reduce inflation. Or someone else's safety when it comes to defunding the police as long as they have their own bodyguards and it isn't them getting doxxed. But the moment it affects them, I dare anyone to pick it outside their home and let's hear what they have to say about it. So, what impact does all this have on investing? The title of this podcast is What I Think I Know. And again, Howard Marks might say, for me, even to suggest I might have some answers is simply hubris. But as you might guess, I'm somewhere in the middle when it comes to the two camps of I know and I don't know. I think one must have a point of view, but not so extreme it keeps you stuck in your beliefs. One must always be questioning both oneself and one's assumptions, and as time goes on and things change, modify their approach. I'm always recommending people approach any important decision based on a thorough examination of everything you can think of in what I often refer to as a Ben Franklin close, where you draw a line down the middle of a page and on one side you write down every reason a given choice is good and on the other every reason why it isn't. And rather than shutting macro forecasts altogether, I do believe in focusing more on the micro, that is, the given industry, company, bond, or alternative manager. I believe if you do your due diligence and consider everything you can think of from every angle you can at any point in time, you increase the odds of making the right choice for you. And even if a given choice goes wrong, you won't be filled with regret because you know you did all you could. But here's what I think I know. 
about some of the things on many people's minds and the impact I believe they'll have on the market, starting with what's more important, the Fed or the midterm elections? Because inflation is a monetary phenomenon that's based primarily on supply and demand and the amount of money in the system, the market will ultimately take care of itself. And therefore, I think it's the election. Regardless of what most people think to the contrary, the Fed's tools are just too few, too blunt, and take too long to work their way through the economy, at least when it comes to inflation. And whatever good them raising rates might do to trigger demand destruction, as with many drugs, there's simply too many side effects that can be worse than whatever it is they're trying to cure. The Fed can affect the economy, of course, if they go too far like they did until last fall by keeping rates too low for too long and taking too long to begin their balance sheet runoff when they had so many chances. As far back as December 2015, for example, when at a CEPR conference I asked Lael Brainerd why they weren't doing anything to reverse course, at least to unwind their balance sheet. But I do think they're on the verge of making the same mistake again in the opposite extreme. They're paying a record high interest rate on a record amount of money held at the Fed on behalf of our commercial banks, enticing them to store their cash in a risk-free, government-guaranteed account and giving them every reason not to lend. It's worse than when the government was paying people not to work. And the question, as Joe Kernan recently asked Judy Shelton on CNBC, are they truly so determined in their effort to restore their own sullied reputation, they'll be willing to kill the patient in the process? As Shelton said, it's like something out of medieval times when doctors bled a patient to rid the body of sickness. At the very time we're trying to coax people back to work on a full-time basis, the Fed's doing everything they can to increase unemployment. And the truth is, a lot has already changed in the battle against inflation. Other than Paul Volcker, there's been an unprecedented rapid ramp in the Fed funds rate from 0.25 to 3.25% in less than six months. And there's a six to nine month lag before today's rate will be reflected in the economy. There's a strong correlation with a 13 month lag between core CPI and the M2 money supply, which peaked in March 2021 and absent any new spending. If we simply do nothing, inflation should be back at or under 2.5% by next June. There's the fact the Fed's quantitative tightening is only now ramping from 65 to 95 billion a month. And of that, 35 billion is mortgage-related, so that at least in part, is to blame for the spike in the 30-year fixed from 3% at the start of the year to more than 7% last month. There's the degree to which commodities from oil to copper and lumber down from $1,400 per thousand board feet earlier this year to 400 today. They've already fallen from their respective highs, along with the slowdown in housing and consumer discretionary spending in general for everything from clothes to used cars. Consumer sentiment, in fact, is now hitting multi-year lows in no small part because of the hit we've already taken in the stock and bond market. So yes, I think the Fed should pause 
now at 3.5% max to see what happens before raising any more, to give all of the above a chance to work before the global economy really is driven into recession, as Stan Druckenmiller and Jeremy Siegel, given the Fed's current trajectory, predict through a self-inflicted, unforced error. Yet nearly every economist, from John Taylor to Larry Summers and Ben Bernanke, seems to think they need to keep raising pedal to the metal, like modern-day Paul Volcker's. I recently had a chance to ask Mr. Bernanke in person why, at an award ceremony at CEPR for his many contributions during the Great Recession of 2008. Looking me in the eye from 10 feet away, he said, employment. You see, the truth is they're obsessed with the impact their much-feared wage-price spiral could have on inflation. And until people start losing their jobs and unemployment rises substantially, they believe their job won't be done. But when it comes to the midterms, that, I think, is more clear-cut and binary. It'll either go one way, the Republicans will win the House, or the other, Democrats will retain control. And we'll know in just a few short weeks. I wish and think it would help if at least one branch, whether the House or Senate, could always be in the hands of the opposition to preserve the checks and balances our founding fathers envisioned in our Constitution and Declaration of Independence. And that as a result, when all our esteemed politicians so casually quote the will of the people, it truly would represent the overwhelming majority of the country. It force our representatives to compromise. So things don't veer too far from center. But again, one way or the other, after November 8th, I'll breathe a sigh of relief because then at least we'll know what to expect politically. Here in the U.S., where our portfolios primarily focus for now, for the next two years. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Both Lori and I hope you enjoyed what you heard, and if you did, that you'll share it with friends and family so they can enjoy it too. This is Barnaby Levin for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable, and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced, and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those 
of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC or any of its affiliates. 